the first reading is taken from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13, on page 1042 of the Red Church Bible. That's Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me, the door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, fathers, If your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And the second reading is just over the page in chapter 12, um, starting at verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They, do not store, um, they have no store or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than the birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lily grows. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Thanks very much. So keep your Bibles open, please, at Luke chapter 11. Um, over the last couple of Sundays, we've been looking at the whole subject of prayer. Uh, We've looked at who we pray to, that God is our Father, and we simply come to him as children asking for help. 
And last week we looked at how we pray. And this morning we're going to finish off as we focus in particular verses 2 to 4 on what we should pray. And because he is our Father and because we are his children, let's ask for his help now as we look at his word together. Father, please help us. Please pour out your Spirit upon us so that we understand your word with our minds, that it would fill our hearts and our lives, changing us so that you increase and we become less. Transform us so that our lives revolve around you and your priorities and your desires and teach us to live in line with you and with what you want. Father, through your word, teach us what to pray. Amen. Well, in the 16th century, the scientist Galileo changed how we understand the world and and how it works. He proved the theory that the sun did not revolve around the earth as previously thought, rather the earth revolved around the sun. In other words, the sun is at the very centre of the universe. Now, our natural inclination as people is to think that we, as human beings, are at the centre of the universe and that God revolves around us. In other words, God is there primarily to meet my needs and my wants. So when we come to pray, we pray as if it's all about me, my concerns and my desires. But like the scientific discovery in the past, we need to change, we need to reorientate ourselves and have a proper understanding of prayer. You see, although we think we're very important, and I'm sure we are all very important people, we are actually not the centre of the universe. God is. In other words, God doesn't revolve around us. Rather, we revolve around him. He sustains us, not the other way around. And our natural focus is, when we pray, is to pray with me at the centre. So it's very common, I guess, for us to pray about my health, or my job, or my exams, or my money. And it's good to pray about our needs and concerns but they're not the centre of prayer. Like the disciples here in chapter 11, we need to be taught what to pray. So in verse 1, after Jesus was praying, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus' answer is very simple. It's it's what we now call the Lord's Prayer in verses 2 to 4. 
and it changes the focus from me-centred prayers to God-centred prayers. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, as a framework for how we should pray God-centred prayers. So the first thing we're going to look at, praying for God's desires in a God-centred way. So when we start, we start with verse 2, Father. We're reminding ourselves at that point of conversation with God that we have been invited to join our relationship with Jesus in his relationship with the Father. The intimate and personal relationship Jesus enjoyed with his Father is now our relationship to enjoy. But let's remember our Father is not our big buddy. He is, as we read in chapter 10, verse 21 last week, that he is Lord of heaven and earth. He's the all-powerful, all-ruling Father. Nothing is outside of his control. He is, the Father is, the centre of the universe. So as we come to pray, we reorientate ourselves around the Father. So we want what the Father wants. We begin to pray what the Father desires. So what does the Father want? What does he desire? Well, when we pray, we pray, verse 2, hallowed or holy be your name. It's about his name. This isn't about us. And when we're talking about a name, we're talking about somebody's character or somebody's reputation. Their name is tied up with with the kind of person that they are. So this is a prayer that God's name, that his reputation and his character would be set apart from every other name and every other person. Because that's what holy or hallowed means. It means to be separate or distinct. So this is all about God's name. It's all about his character and his reputation being made known, being set apart, being different to everyone else and everything else. But how do you and I make God's name holy? Surely God is holy already. So how do we make it holy? Well, when we come to Jesus in faith, we are welcomed into God's family. When we trust Jesus, we are invited into his family. We have access to the same Father. But more than that, because we are now in his family, or because we've been adopted into his family, we now have the same name. We bear the same name. So keep your finger there in Luke chapter 11 and go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. I think this will help us understand how we have his name if we are his children through faith in Jesus. So, Ephesians chapter 3. 
and verse 12. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 12. It says there, In him, or in Jesus, and through faith in Jesus, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Verse 14. For this reason... I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. You see, we have been given his name. We've been invited into his family. So we now have that name, so we, his children, are to reflect his character and his reputation so that his name is made known. So when people look at us, they'll think, God's name, the Father's name, this is who he is, this is what he is like. Now sometimes in sport, a name like Nike or Adidas or something like that will sponsor a player. That means they have been given the name of Nike. They are to represent that name on the sports field and when they play in competition. They are to show that Nike makes better and greater sports equipment than everybody else. And in the same way we have been given the family name of God, we bear his name. So we, as his children, are to reflect his character. In other words, our lives are to show how great and how awesome, how magnificent God is. So this is a prayer that is asking God that he would change our character He would change us so that God's name is made famous, not ours. We're wanting to promote the name of God, not our name. We want people to know him, not us. That's a God-centred prayer. And when we pray, also verse 2, we pray, Your kingdom come. And when we're talking about a kingdom, we're talking about, well, there must be a king, and if he is king, then he must rule over lands and he must rule over people. So this is a prayer, a great big prayer, that God's rule, his kingship, would be recognised in every nation across this world and in every person's life. Go back to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Here Jesus is at the beginning of his ministry and he's been doing these amazing miracles, signs and wonders. He's been healing the sick. He's been demonstrating his power and his authority over demons and over the forces of evil and naturally it's attracting a huge big crowd. But here Jesus makes his priority clear at verse 42 of chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 42. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place and the people were looking for him because they wanted more miracles. And, And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach... 
the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that is why I was sent. I must tell people about the good news of the kingdom. And the good news of the kingdom is that Jesus is God's chosen king. That Jesus came into the world, the God-man, to renew and restore this broken world. So when he healed the sick, and when he raised the dead, and when he cast out demons, he was giving people a glimpse of what God's kingdom would be like. A world without pain or suffering. A world without death or evil. It was the kind of world that people long for and people dream of. But how do people actually enter into this kingdom? How do you get a part of this kingdom? Well, if we look at Luke chapter 5, verse 31, Jesus makes it very clear how that happens. He's been spending a lot of time with people who the religious people don't want to associate with. They're called the sinners, people like you and me. And so in verse 31 of chapter 5, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need, the, need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come for people who think they're good. I've come for people who know that they need help. Verse 32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, we enter into God's kingdom when we recognise that we are rebellious sinners who've turned against God's rule. We have removed God from the centre and we've put ourselves at the centre. We live as if God revolves around us, as if God is there to meet my needs and my wants. And so this is a call to repent and to put God at the very centre of our lives, to make him the ruler of all that we do. So this prayer that we have in Luke chapter 11, your kingdom come, is a prayer which is simply asking for God's rule in our lives, to put him at the very centre of our lives, that his rule would be demonstrated in us and through us. But more than that, as we begin to tell the good news of the kingdom to other people, that they too would repent and turn to him and make Jesus Christ their King and their Lord of their lives. So we're praying for God's desires, that his name is made famous, that his name is known throughout the nations, and that his rule would come in people's lives. It's not about us. It's about him and his kingdom. So we are praying about God's desires, his name and his kingdom. So does that mean that God isn't interested in my needs? Does God not care about my health or my job? Does, does God even want us to pray about our concerns? Is he, is he even interested in us? Well, of course God does. He is our loving Father. That's what we've been looking at in Luke chapter 11. He takes delight when we as his children come to him and bring our requests and ask him for things. But when we pray for our needs, we need to pray for our needs in a God-centered way, not a selfish way. So when we pray for our needs, 
Here's what we're to pray. Verse 3 of chapter 11. When we pray, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now if you're like me in any way, when you're hungry, maybe yesterday afternoon you were sitting down, you go to the fridge and you root around for a bit of food. And if there's nothing in the fridge, well you go down to Dunn's or down to Barry Collins and you go and buy some food. If we haven't got food, we don't tend to pray, give us this day our daily bread. We just go buy it. But the point is, we should. Because when we pray this prayer, we are recognising that the source of all the food that we eat and all the food that we buy is God. He's the source. He's the one who gives life. He's the one who sustains all life. He's the one who makes the rain fall. He's the one who makes the sunshine that makes everything grow. You see, if God were to remove his hand from this world, we'd have nothing. So this is a prayer that shows my complete and utter dependence on God. That I need God and that without him, I would simply die. Because God is, after all, at the very centre of the universe. He holds everything together. And I need to be reminded of that on a daily basis as I sit down to my shredded wheat in the morning, when I sit down to my spuds in the evening, I need to be reminded that this came from God. But praying this prayer also helps us to focus on his name and his kingdom. Have a look at Luke chapter 12, verse 22. This was part of our second reading. Luke chapter 12, verse 22. Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. And who of us don't worry about life, eh? I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. So consider the ravens. We don't have too many ravens come down into our garden. We have a few sparrows and things like that so consider the sparrows if you like they do not sow or reap they have no storeroom or barn yet God feeds them and how much more valuable are you than birds you are his children so how much more valuable are you than the birds that land down in your garden verse 25 who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life since you cannot do this very little thing why do you worry about the rest about food and all of these things God knows what our needs are so we are to come independent and stop worrying verse 29 and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, 
and these things will be given to you as well. You see, we are to pray this very simple prayer for our daily bread, trusting that God will provide for us so that we can focus and give our attention to God's kingdom. You see, most of us, myself included, spend our time worrying about the future. What are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? What about all those bills that I have to pay? What about saving for a pension and a retirement package? What about my future and all these things? And, well, we give our time to building up our own little kingdoms, making sure that we're all so secure and that we're all so well protected that any eventuality that might come upon us, well, we'll be okay. In fact, we have become so secure we don't need God anymore. We're so protected in our life, we don't need to pray, give us this day our daily bread. But that's being me-centred rather than God-centred. We simply pray, give us today our daily bread, for today, not for the next week, but for today, so that we can focus on God's kingdom, which will last for an eternity Seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. So we pray in dependence, asking God to give us our basic daily needs so that we can give our resources and time and energy to his kingdom. And when we pray for ourselves, Verse 4 of chapter 11, we pray, Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. In case you haven't realised yet, we all continue to sin. And so we continue to need to come to God and ask for forgiveness. In fact, seeking forgiveness is a sign that we are God's children. It's not something we do once and then forget about it as something in the past. It's an ongoing daily exercise. It's a, a child coming to their father knowing that they need forgiveness. It's a little bit like marriage. If I fall out with Kirsty, and we sometimes do, we're still married. We're still bound to each other. But the point is, the relationship isn't what it ought to be. And so we need to come and ask for forgiveness so that that relationship is, is restored and it's everything that it should be. And in the same way, when I sin, it doesn't mean that somehow the Father has shut me out of his presence and he doesn't want to talk to me anymore. No, the relationship still exists. He is still my father and I am still his child. But the relationship is not what it ought to be. So I come to him asking for forgiveness. And when I ask for forgiveness, it has this amazing knock-on effect. Look at verse 4, the second part. You see, when we ask God to forgive us of all of our sins... We do so for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. You see, the sign or the evidence 
that I have been forgiven by God is that I now begin to forgive others who sin against me. It's the sign, it's the evidence. So if I hold something against another person, if I don't forgive them, if I continue to hold a grudge against that person and won't forgive them, then I need to go back to the cross and look at Christ and see how God has forgiven me in Christ. And when I see what he has done for me, I cannot withhold forgiveness from another person. So this is a prayer about me, yes, and my needs, yes, I need forgiveness. But this is a prayer saying, Father, forgive me so that I can forgive like you. Forgive me, Father, so that I am gracious and compassionate and merciful like you. So that when people see my life, they will begin to see something of your character in me. They will see how merciful and compassionate you are because I am compassionate. So this prayer is essentially, yes, it's about our needs, forgiveness, but it's about us becoming like God. So we need to pray for God's desires. We need to pray for our needs. And then finally, we need to pray that our prayers continue to be God-centred. Look at the conclusion to this prayer in chapter 11, verse uh, 4. That little phrase at the end, and lead us not into temptation. This is like a summary of the whole prayer. The focus is all about praying God-centred prayers, not me-centred prayers. And the temptation is always to think that life is about me. Our natural drift is to remove God from the centre and put me at the centre and pray things for my wants. God, do this for me. Do this now. I want this. I need this. So this is a great prayer to pray. Lead us not into temptation. It's not about me. I don't want to be tempted into it's about me. I want it to be about God. Now, of course, it doesn't mean that we will never be tempted. Temptation is part of the Christian life. Luke 4 tells us all about how Jesus was tempted. So we are not asking that we will never be tempted. Rather, in this prayer, we are asking that we would be able to resist temptation. That we would stand up under the pressure to put me at the centre and to push God out. So in conclusion, this is a prayer that God remains central, that he increases and I become less. It's a prayer that every time I am tempted to promote my name and want things for me and things to be done my way, I stop and I pray, holy be your name. We want the name of God to be made famous. And it's a prayer that every time I'm tempted to build my own little kingdom and secure my own little future and protect my life and my world, I simply stop and I pray, your kingdom come. 
Whatever may happen my health, whatever may happen to my children, whatever may happen to my job, your kingdom come, your rule be done in our lives and in this world. So this is a major reorientation to how we pray. We take ourselves out of the centre, we put God into the centre, because we revolve around God. We are dependent on Him, and we want what He wants, and what He wills for us. So, as we close, let's pray this prayer together. You can keep your Bible open, and we can read this prayer simply together in response to what we've just been looking at. We'll start with Father and we'll end where it says temptation. So let's pray this prayer together. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Amen. We're going to sing words that reflect this very prayer. Let your kingdom come.